You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. So I can now say good afternoon because it's past uh, 12 o'clock. So welcome back everyone and thank you very much indeed for uh, being here. Um, so we've talked this morning about the politics, the geopolitics, and you can see I'm now sitting down, so it's a nice moment for me as well. So we talked about geopolitics, we then talked about the people's dimension of this, uh, of ASEAN, and now we're going to talk about what earlier was said to be the backbone of the relationship and what really attracts European uh, investors and business to the region, which is ASEAN's high economic growth rates, booming economies, rising middle class, and of course the markets. But what's uh, happening at the moment, and we discussed this also in the morning, is great uncertainties on the global trade landscape. Uh, we've had a G7 where the anti-protectionist pledge, if you like, wasn't as strong as it could have been, and we know why that was so, because of the United States. We also have uh, the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is uh, uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen to it. Of course, TTIP, the European-American uh, Transatlantic Partnership, is also s slightly uncertain in terms of what happens next. At the same time, RCEP, the regional comprehensive economic partnership agreements are advancing in the region. So a lot of discussion to be had, a lot of talk and, and arguments to be had. Um, let me just introduce our panelists. And before I go any further, I have to say Ambassador Ong. Uh, Ambassador Ong Kang Yong, of course, uh, is a former... ASEAN Secretary General. He is really uh, the mastermind behind the ASEAN Economic Community. You supervised the adoption of the AEC in 2007. And, you know, you've sort of become the grandfather, the, the godfather of what's happening in AEC. So I am so grateful to uh, the Singapore mission for bringing you here, Ambassador Ong. And you arrived this morning and got off the plane and, and came here immediately. Um, to my extreme left is Helena Koning, also a very familiar face and figure, an important person in town. She's director for Asia, Latin America, the European uh, Commission DG Trade. She's uh, really the person, the woman, uh, organizing a lot of these uh, partnership agreements, free trade agreements with many of the ASEAN countries uh, that we will be talking about, and perhaps an EU-ASEAN FTA as well, which I think is very much on our minds. Um, Finally, I'm really delighted to have with us also Dao An Tuan. He's Director General at the Vietnam Chamber of Commerce and Industry. He's Director General of the Legal Department and is working quite hard on the EU-Vietnam trade agreement. And I think the question for you will really be, uh, what does it look like and how is it going to be implemented? So let's kick off. Uh, we have about an hour uh, ahead of us. Uh, Ambassador Ong, I thought I would kick off with uh, the AEC the ASEAN Economic Community. We're all looking at it with interest. We're a little baffled at sometimes what we see as slow progress. What are your priorities? What are your concerns? What's going fast? What's going slow? Please. Well, first of all, I think we all have to recognize something that we don't always talk about, which is that actually the AEC has really achieved uh, one uh, part of its agenda, which is to reduce tariffs and grow the trade in goods. Yeah? So ASEAN free trade area started back in the early 90s. And over the years, uh, we have managed to reduce tariffs, sometimes as high as 100%, down to quite a minimal number now, maybe 5 or 8% for certain products. So trade has grown, and the ASEAN economy has become very dynamic because of this uh, great flow of goods to and from different parts of uh, Southeast Asia. The main problem today is in the sector of services, trade in services. It is not growing as quickly as it ought to be given the integration that we try to uh, 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 execute. Uh, there are still various uh, non-tariff measures or non-tariff barriers which slow down the uh, expansion of trade in services. Generally speaking, the AEC is already in place. 
Only thing is how well are they implemented or the measures, action lines in the AEC. Uh, but uh, the other good news is that uh, in terms of investment flow, investment flow coming into Southeast Asia uh, has continued to register positive uh, levels. In fact, it has been uh, relatively much better than other regions in the world. And in recent, uh, uh, the last 12 months, we have also started to focus on how to improve what we call the transparency of our procedures and rules, as well as how do we uh, uh, attract more uh, investment into defined sectors, mostly the sectors to create jobs and to maintain the ASEAN uh, position vis-à-vis -vis, uh, sectors such as uh, finance and uh, tourism and uh, those kind of uh, uh, services related to IT and digitization of our economy. So hopefully this particular agenda in the investment uh, portfolio, namely we call it FAST, yeah, focus and uh, 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 stress, uh, strategic uh, uh, agenda to facilitate more inflow of FDI into ASEAN will work to our advantage. Now, um, Shada talk about the issue of uh, protectionism and globalization. This is a big challenge for us in ASEAN. As you know, ASEAN, 10 economies, we have basically developed based on uh, concentration of export-oriented initiatives. We depend on trade with the global marketplace, of course, among ourselves first, and then we export our products to the rest of the world and we import many of the products, uh, say for example, European country produce in order to uh, uh, strengthen our own manufacturing development. But these days, because of the protectionist tendency and the uh, need to uh, uh, guard against uh, anti-globalization, we have also started to think about how do we uh, concentrate on innovation and productivity-led growth. So in the coming three, four, five years, you will see more and more of our ASEAN countries talking about innovation and productivity initiative. Basically, we feel that we cannot depend just on the promotion and expansion of trade, whether trade in goods or trade in services. So, uh, Ambassador Ong, so when you talk to European business uh, in, in ASEAN, they are, of course, very interested by what's happening in the AEC. They, they you know, encourage you to move forward. But we've had meetings with them, and in fact, there was a meeting uh, last autumn that we held with the EU ASEAN Business Council. They complain of still fragmented market in ASEAN. They complain a lot about red tape and bureaucracy being an obstacle. Uh, and of course, they also worry about corruption levels. I mean, corruption is not just an ASEAN problem. It's a worldwide problem, of course. So, uh, and, 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 and also, they say that they're not properly consulted all the time by, by government, that business is not part of the consultation process as it should be. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, we must not forget that uh, ASEAN as a group is constructed quite differently from the European Union. Yeah, you have here the European Commission, which under the specified mandate, European Commission in Brussels decide on some of these issues, policy measures, and then you can roll out straight away. In the case of ASEAN, we are still intergovernmental. Uh, to issue a statement to say that a typhoon had hit the Philippines, we require to go to 10 different capital cities to ask for approval. Yeah, by the time the approval comes for the statement, uh, the typhoon has come and gone. Mm. And many people have been devastated by the uh, natural disaster. So, because of this uh, different construct, we are always confronted with this issue. Uh, we know that we have to do certain things in our uh, ASEAN economic integration. But we need to go back to the respective member states. Don't forget, the whole idea of ASEAN community building rests on the will, political will of the respective member states. If each of these member states uh, take its own sweet time and drag their feet about some of the initiative, we can't move very far. Of course, now the initiative is to try to say, 
if there is a majority, we go ahead with it. Uh, how far it will go, I am not quite sure. But at least, as you heard just now, uh, we have this ASEAN Convention on Trafficking of Person, ATIP. So six guys sign up, then we just go. As long as six countries of ASEAN 10 uh, ratify the agreement, uh, we can now operationalize the agreement. So that's not a bad step. It's a good move forward. Uh, I don't know whether in the economic arena we can do more like this. Uh, as long as we get six, seven people that sign on, we move. Yeah. But we hope that the ASEAN governments in the respective countries will try to continue their domestic reform. Yeah, many of the things that we wish to do for ASEAN Economic Community, AEC, depend on domestic policy. And if the domestic policy moves slowly, the implementation of the ASEAN economic agenda moves slowly, we will have to uh, wring our hand and get upset. But we can't do very much because we don't have a European Commission to say, let's get on. Whether you like it or not, you don't like it, you can bring me to the European Court of Justice or whatever. But in ASEAN, we don't have all this. So this is the kind of uh, challenge that we have in uh, uh, ASEAN today. Uh, how do we persuade the respective governments mm. to accelerate their domestic uh, legislation and to do their domestic reform? And as a result of globalization, uh, anti-globalization and anti-liberalization uh, uh, of the market, so the protectionism come back. So more domestic quarters are raising their arm and say, okay, we don't move so fast. Mm. We see what will happen. Uh, maybe tomorrow, uh, RCEP will also be dead. So why do we need to open up our uh, policy mm. so fast? So this is a challenge for all of us in ASEAN. We need to constantly uh, engage each other. And, you know, now this, this event here, this discussion here about EU doing this and that, we always look at EU, we in ASEAN always look at EU as a reference point. If the EU can do this, Maybe we in ASEAN can also try. Yeah? So some of us have engaged in uh, ASEAN-EU uh, uh, free trade agreement discussion and some of the ASEAN member states, uh, Singapore, uh, Vietnam and some others have engaged the European side to do the free trade agreement at the bilateral level. So hopefully this will come or add to the, 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 the boosting of the momentum. Mm -hmm. And so the woman who's talking about all these issues is, is, is Elena. So, Elena, it seems that there is a space out there, uh, politically also, but economically definitely for the EU. And for a long time, uh, Europe's face in Asia was about trade and economics. It seems to me that it's back. There's a flurry of activity again, a, a sort of fresh energy, uh, maybe coming from the region, but also definitely coming from Europe. So you've got several balls up in the air. You've got several agreements that you're juggling with. Difficult? Uh, it takes, takes some time. Uh, <laughs> Wonder Woman is what we call them. Starting, I, I think this is a good illustration, actually, what is happening in the trade sphere between the EU and ASEAN or EU and Asia. It's a good illustration of internal uh, changes policy, changes inside uh, Europe, uh, changes within ASEAN, and changes around us. And I think all of these three actually coincide and has led us to arrive at the situation we are now. Uh, whereas we on the European side came out with a new strategy, Trade for All, which has a number of, or three big three, uh, components. One is a more active bilateral negotiation agenda, not because we don't believe in the WTO uh, or think that would be the best way to go forward, but because of what is happening around us and the fact that it hasn't been as fruitful to go through the WTO uh, way as, as uh, the possibilities to actually advance bilaterally in our negotiations. Uh, we also have as a third uh, or second cornerstone in our new trade for all strategy is about an inclusive trade policy, which is about, a lot about information, bringing more knowledge about trade, why trade is good and what is happening in negotiation to constituents, stakeholders. Uh, so we have an active dialogue with our stakeholders also which has some challenges. It suddenly brings trade to the forefront uh, of the political debate, which isn't always easy to tackle. 
but I think it's nevertheless something very useful and something we needed to do. Uh, the third cornerstone is, is values, and that is also very much stemming from our uh, experience with our stakeholders that uh, there are a number of European values, uh, but many of these values are actually global values. It's, it's things that uh, people care about all across the world, uh, may it be environmental uh, concerns, uh, and, and I'll return a bit later to human rights issues also. Uh, at the same time, we've seen a number of initiatives, and it was uh, mentioned some of them before by Shada. Uh, you have the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership Negotiation, which has actually brought together ASEAN and their bilateral uh, FTA partners, trying to make uh, a regional agreement which is more ambitious than the highest level of, of the individuals. Uh, FTAs that exist. And that, I think, has uh, made the com uh, combined ASEAN countries more assured, perhaps, when it comes to negotiations, uh, more determined uh, of thinking this is the way to go. Uh, and that has fitted very well into our agenda also. And thirdly, although not all ASEAN members have been in involved in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, that I think also was an impetus uh, that not only was something important for the countries in ASEAN who negotiated it, but actually was important for the other ones also, because I think it stimulated a bit of uh, competition of not wanting be, to be left behind. Uh, and I think that has actually led to what we see in our bilateral negotiations, which is, for the moment, still the main vehicles in our trade negotiations with ASEAN, uh, higher interest from, from all ASEANs uh, of engaging with us. They know on which basis we are engaging because we already have two concluded agreements with Singapore and with Vietnam. Uh, and they've actually gone into negotiations with us based uh, on the knowledge that this is where the aim is. Uh, and that is something which is extremely important when you negotiate something that you know you want to reach the same point. Okay, there are differences. Someone, one partner may value a bit more uh, one issue we negotiate. Others may uh, value something else. But overall, we're at least in the same ballpark where we want to land. And that has been extremely important. And all of this, of course, is then pushed on what is happening uh, outside, what is happening uh, in, in our neighborhoods, what are other uh, negotiating countries doing, what are the big economic powerhouses that are uh, the two of the big ones, of course, in, in the Asia region? How are they developing? And it's competitive forces uh, all around. Uh, and I think that is something, one of the main drivers where we've seen, why we've seen such good developments also inside uh, ASEAN when it comes to the ASEAN economic community and the quest actually to continue and go into new areas uh, because there is a knowledge that if, if you want to reach, uh, want to establish a full market, you may start with tariffs and, and an outside tariff, but then very quickly you come into other things that actually hampers the development of this market. And I think in our discussions and my discussions with ASEAN colleagues, uh, it's very much tariffs were doing fine, uh, Mr. Wong mentioned services, there are still things to be done, and on uh, non-tariff barriers, there's definitely a lot of things to be done. But that's, I think that's a normal development, and I think with our negotiation, our aim is also to develop in sync with the way ASEAN members, member states and member countries develop uh, by themselves. Uh, I mentioned we have a number of negotiations uh, in ASEAN. Uh, we have FTA negotiations, of course, with the uh, Philippines, uh, Malaysia. Uh, the ones with Thailand, all the suspended, were started very well at the time. Uh, and uh, we have negotiations on an investment protection agreement with Myanmar. And we, of course, have our unilateral preference uh, 
instruments like the Everything But Arms, where we have both Laos and Cambodia benefiting in addition to Myanmar. And then we have something called GSP Plus, uh, where, for example, Philippines is the latest addition to, to benefit from that. So what we have is a bit of a, a broad set of instruments. Uh, and what we have said that even though you may have may benefit from the unilateral instruments, there is still a case, and that has been shown from ASEAN member states also, that they find there is still a case to actually in engage in an FDA negotiation. And I think that's exactly uh, because what I said before. There is a realization that we have to take steps to actually create uh, a good uh, and covering market uh, inside ASEAN. And just on, on, on that, if I made you, because we mentioned business uh, very briefly, and that is something also which we hear very often from our business when we talk about ASEAN. They have an enormous interest in ASEAN, not only because it's a high-growth uh, region, uh, but they also see that there are these aims to create this inside market or make this better. Coincidentally, though, it's the number one uh, issue they raise. It should be faster. Uh, because whereas uh, our industry has already set up their production chains that goes between countries, so you may start to produce one thing in, in one country and then you take components from a third country and then you do other things uh, in a second country, uh, this is very important for ASEAN as a whole because there is still a case to have production chains within ASEAN uh, as well as with the outside. The second uh, thing I think which is important also to know for our business is that uh, they actually shop around. Uh, when they are thinking about putting a new headquarter, a new investment something, they look at not only the market within that ASEAN country, they also look at uh, how easily can I then use this country as a base to ship to other ASEAN countries, for example. Uh, and that's where I think uh, the differences lie still. Uh, and it's like uh, Dr. Ong said again, it's how quickly do each ASEAN country put their framework uh, for it to become trade-friendly. And there I've still noticed, because of our negotiations also, that there are some differences between ASEAN countries. It's, of course, a sovereign decision in the end, and it still holds true what I said in the beginning, I think the movement is going forward in all ASEAN countries, but there is a certain uh, difference in speed on how quickly that goes. Thank you. I, I will come back to you on the, how realistic is it to actually talk about an EU ASEAN FTA, but let's, let's turn first to Tuan and then we'll open the floor and you'll obviously deal with that question as well. So Tuan, EU-Vietnam agreement and, you know, uh, uh, Helena has talked about the need to convince people that trade is good, that trade is a good thing, it's inclusive, it promotes well-being, prosperity, etc. What is the case study of this agreement in terms of, from your perspective, and how easy or difficult has that been? Uh, yeah, thank you, uh, Sada. Yeah, if, uh, if we talk about the EU-ASEAN economic tie or cooperation, I think Vietnam could be a success story. Uh, now, EU, uh, EU, uh, EU is uh, one of the top three biggest investors in, in Vietnam. And the trade turnover last year uh, between uh, EU and Vietnam is uh, reached uh, 35 billion US dollars. So we could see the, the, the influence of uh, EU to the Vietnam economy. And uh, unlike other reason, unlike other partner, the the enterprise in Vietnam, they they don't have to uh, compete directly with the uh, enterprise from Europe. They can cooperate. Vietnam can buy, can import a lot of technology uh, uh, from Europe. And so I think that's good, very different with uh, other big uh, partner of Vietnam. Uh, so there's been a real uh, advantage. Yeah, yeah, real advantage. And I, from uh, my uh, my uh, my experience, I think uh, investment from uh, EU not 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 only means the number, 
But uh, I want to to uh, to, uh, to, to, uh, to focus on the quality. The uh, the the quality of uh, investment of EU very very good. Uh, and uh, in Vietnam we have uh, Vietnam Business Forum, Forum co-chaired by our, our Chamber of Commerce and uh, Eurocham and uh, and Am Am Cham. And not only for uh, for other business, but we raise a lot of important issues for Vietnam, like more transparency, uh, anti-corruption. Uh, so we we mention a, a lot of, uh, uh, about the economic quality, government quality. So I, I think uh, the cooperation with the EU not not mean the the job, not mean the. Uh, the money, but also the the quality of, uh, of governance. So we we can see up, after a long time cooperation with uh, EU and uh, EU uh, investor very active and uh, also they also uh, they also influence in the Vietnam. And uh, we also proud that uh, the FTA with the EU, uh, Vietnam is the se- second country in the region to to, to f- f- finish the negotiation. And uh, in the FTA, not uh, we think that it's very useful for Vietnam. We mentioned about the environmental protection, about the labor relation, about the some mm-hmm. some 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 bigger issue for for Vietnam development. So that's what I mean. Yeah. So, so what you're saying, and I think uh, both of you will probably agree that FTAs are more than just trade instruments in a sense that drive the reform process forward is what you're saying. Can I just ask you the other way around? Uh, Vietnamese exporters to, uh, to Europe, have they seen benefits uh, emerge? Uh, have tariffs uh, improved? Uh, has, have your exports increased? Uh, yeah, uh... Now uh, Vietnam exports uh, around uh, more than uh, uh, nearly more than 25 billion US dollar to the Europe, and we do hope that now Vietnam have benefits from the lower tariff from Europe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we do hope that we can uh, after FTA. Uh, almost the uh, tariff barrier can come to zero, mm-hmm. so I think we can we, we can have uh, more uh, imports. The, yeah, more the export. other thing about the uh, export of ASEAN products and services to EU region is that in the EU you have excellent transparency of rules, procedure, and people can easily. Uh, go to the relevant website or the mm. source of information. And so ASEAN export to EU uh, have been greatly facilitated. Uh, in the earlier years, uh, we have, uh, say about five or eight years ago, we have issue with regard to certain uh, consumer-oriented uh, rules and regulation because in the EU, your protection of consumer interests is very, very strong. So, following uh, some issue with regard to exports of uh, uh, seafood from Vietnam and Thailand to uh, uh, EU, we have learned what are the rules and how do we uh, bring about knowledge and share it with our uh, uh, exporters. So, that's the advantage of uh, a European Union which is very focused on uh, not only making the rules, but also to provide transparency and to have uh, uh, established procedures to deal with uh, uh, disputes and trade uh, mm-hmm. differences. The only thing that I would pitch for here is that uh, ASEAN countries, uh, even an advanced economy like Singapore, uh, we still have some way to go with regard to tackling some of your very technical and complicated uh, uh, rules. And uh, I think I like this earlier session where uh, Ms. Tudor talked about harmony and this harmony of knowledge, you know, because we, we, we appreciate the transparency and the ease in which we can assess the information. But in some cases, uh, our business people ought to know a bit more and there must be more time given for people to adjust to the... Uh, uh, the technicality of some of these rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think uh, there is a positive feeling that it is 
not difficult to export or do business with Europe. Yeah. Uh, and you have this wonderful thing, once you get into one part of Europe, you can easily go to the rest of Europe. So mm. that is your greatest uh, advantage. Mm. So now for us in Southeast Asia, we will have to get our business people and exporters trading houses ready to appreciate some of these uh, mm -hmm. advantages as well as uh, uh, not sufficient information. And we, I think we need to do a lot more capacity building because many of our uh, uh, exporters are small and medium-sized right. uh, establishment, and many of them they suffer from uh, lack of uh, access to good, reliable information, on top of uh, access to uh, good financing and IP protection, because these are very specialized company that produce certain lifestyle products or some f right. f food and all that. It require a lot more hand-holding and uh, sharing of the relevant uh, specification to ensure the quality and protection of consumers. Thank you very much. I'm going to open the, the floor to questions. There's one issue that hasn't been raised is obviously you, uh, Ambassador, talked about uh, using one country in Europe to access a wider single market with, I guess, Britain leaving. Um, that is going to be a bit of a headache, if I may put it this way. Uh, we'll have that question. And then, as I said, I want to ask uh, Helena as well about... Uh, how realistic is it to talk in terms of an EU-ASEAN FTA given the uh, within the region differences? But let me open the floor to questions uh, from yourselves. Uh, please, can I have a show of hands? Uh, I know that uh, Xavier is there, uh, Ayana Dreyer is there as well, and I'm sure she has a few questions, Mario and Jan Willem Blanket. Well, that's four people to kick off with. Let's start with the lady first. Thank you. Um, Jana Dreyer from Borderlex. Um, I have a a question back to Helena because it was uh, uh, mentioned, but maybe for f f of, to have the ASEAN perspective on this, the EU has recently indeed relaunched the idea of a region-to-region -re FTA. Uh, what I understand that the idea floated uh, is that to have a sort of a common set of rules and then bilateral market access schedules, a bit on the model of TPP. Uh, how much is that current? And I was wanted really to hear the two gentlemen from uh, Singapore and from Vietnam on how this is really perceived. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, let's take a few questions and then I'll turn to the, the panel. So, uh, question. Thank you for asking that question. Spares me having to do it. So, Xavier, please. Thank you. Xavier Nutin from the European Parliament. Uh, we know that uh, there is wide difference in the economic development among the ASEAN member states, among the, between the founding members and between the so-called CLMV, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, and Vietnam. In the EU also, we have wide differences. Uh, what, is the, what is ASEAN as an organization doing to bridge the development gap between those two groups of countries? In the EU, we have cohesion funds, structural funds, as a solidarity mechanism, uh, what is ASEAN doing? If I remember correctly, in 2005, the foreign minister of ASEAN decided to establish the ASEAN Development Fund to implement the Vientiane Declaration, but that does not appear in the ASEAN Charter. It does not appear in the uh, blueprints, economic blueprint 2025. So it seems to have totally disappeared from the radar screen. So what is ASEAN as an organization, regional organization, doing to bridge the development gap? Thank, mm, thank you very much, Xavier. Jan Willem? It's behind you. Um, Jan Willem Blanket, yeah, I was five years in Jakarta in the EU delegation uh, managing EU-ASEAN uh, relations. Did a few other things before, but that's the relevant thing. I, I think I have especially a question to uh, Ambassador Ong. Um, it's an ASEAN economic community is, is one thing. ASEAN also uses the word um, single market. Single market in my uh, perhaps narrow-minded EU uh, thinking means no tariffs at all. Is there any date or <clears throat> some point that you see over your uh, personal uh, horizon, desire horizon, that all tariffs will have been abolished between ASEAN countries, and perhaps even the question remained unanswered yesterday evening, is there any 
ideal day that ASEAN might turn into a customs union, which mm. might, would, of course, I suppose, Helena uh, knows that much better, uh, make it much easier to do a trade deal with ASEAN as a whole. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much, Jan Willem. Mario, please. First of all, thank you all the panelists and particularly Shada for bringing evidence of a convergence between European Union and ASEAN against the protectionism. Uh, this is very evident for everybody. However, I would like to address the question of the different contents of the trade arrangements. Because uh, this is uh, a question addressed particularly to um, Ambassador Young and to uh, Elena Koenig. Regarding ASEAN, you are, uh, regarding the ASEAN countries, uh, TPP was dividing ASEAN in two, uh, members and non-members, whereas RCEP is uniting ASEAN and is uh, restarting the idea of the centrality of ASEAN. However, in terms of contents, uh, TPP is extremely sophisticated whereas RCEP is nothing more than a, a really a legal framework for easing uh, free trade. Mm. Uh, so the question is whether the Asian countries, in particular Singapore and those, are ready to make steps toward a more elaborate and sophisticated, what we call a second generation trade arrangements, including regulation, social, environmental, pro public procurement, uh, uh, conflict uh, mechanism, uh, uh, and so on. And regarding the, the European Union, the same question is open after the Singapore uh, court, uh, the European court uh, decision about Singapore, which is uh, very important, very important for the future of the European trade policy. I agree with you regarding the, the new strategy is very important, the trade for all and so on. However, now we have a really, really, truly fundamental internal constraints regarding mixed agreement that can affect the quality of the external trade policy right. uh, because uh, you have the, trade, the commission has to make a choice whether the investment are in or not, whether they, the social environmental issues which provoke such a, a public mobilization right. are in or out. So this has to do also with the, the relation with with yeah. Asia and the question of Shada regarding a region to region free trade arrangement. What kind? Which will be the content? <laughs> the yeah. first generation pure FTA or second generation like the TTIP was and CETA and, and, and to some extent the TPP as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, the Japan, the Japan arrangement, which is very, very important. Thank you very much, Mario. Very relevant questions indeed. Um, I, I'm happy to take uh, one more question. Um, I'm actually, yes, please. Uh, and I actually am looking at David Taylor, New Zealand's ambassador to the EU, to perhaps, and who used to be in Jakarta as well, to also come in with a short comment, David. So please, sir. Yes, uh, thank you very much, uh, Jelman Haas. Espoir has uh, European food sectors that are united uh, for sustainable palm oil and committed to 100% sustain, certified sustainable palm oil uptake, uh, which is also recognized by the European Parliament in a re recent resolution that they voted on uh, the issue. Um, nevertheless, we note that Parliament also asked for uh, non-tariff barriers and a single certification scheme, which has, uh, of course, raised a lot of concern. Uh, at least smallholders uh, on the supply side, they fear losing market access uh, through uh, if these measures would indeed be taken up. Uh, therefore, my question, uh, what is your vision? Uh, how can we maintain a well-functioning market? Whilst in the, and, and the side question to that is indeed, we know that in trade for all and also in a, in a commission communication in December, I think it was last year, uh, it was recognized that development cooperation is needed in support of uh, achieving the objectives in sustainability chapters in trade agreements. Nevertheless, for Indonesia in particular, uh, there are not so many tools uh, available for the Commission there to really uh, apply that uh, in, in practice. Is there a, a debate there, discussion with member states to fit in that gap? Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, quick comment from you, David? I 
I can never resist responding when you ask me, um, Shada, so I, I will say something very brief. Uh, first, I'd agree with uh, the previous speaker who said that um, it's very positive that there's some, some great signs about uh, life in the trade process in the Asia-Pacific. It's a really positive thing. Uh, I think there's something very special about what the European Union is doing. If you look at the practices that you've uh, pursued, Helena, uh, with the completed negotiations with several partners, with Japan close, uh, with the ASEAN Collective one back on the books and the other ASEAN bilateral ones you're working on, plus Australia and New Zealand sort of coming down the track very soon, we hope. <laughs> plug, plug. Um, you're basically seeing kind of a European-Asia uh, uh, TPP sort of thing coming along, which is, which is really very exciting. You've already got the other side of the, of the, the Pacific uh, wrapped up. And I think uh, there's a very important message in that for ASEAN. And I think that message is uh, it's time to lift the game a bit. Uh, I was there at the start of the RCEP negotiations uh, when I was ambassador to ASEAN and, and Indonesia. Uh, we thought that could be quite a quick one because it was really cobbling together uh, a number of pre-existing FTAs. Sadly, it's still grinding along. Uh, the quality, uh, frankly, is very low. It's, it's not uh, anywhere close to what Australia and New Zealand did with ASEAN in terms of ambition. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the assessments that we're getting are that it's not going to be done anytime soon. Uh, the, the concern, I th think, there is that ASEAN has a unique opportunity uh, at this point uh, to, to take the next step, to go further. Uh, and I would be really interested in uh, Ambassador Ong's comments on why it's been so hard. I, I'm, I'm conscious that it's, it's not just an ASEAN issue. There's a couple of other partners have been, been awkward on it. Um, but, you know, can you see a pathway for ASEAN to show that greater level of ambition and to, to really play a leadership role? Because, as Helena said, you know, this is what attracts business. It's the ease of doing business. It's the quality of the engagement. It's the quality of the supply chains. Uh, and and as, as I say, I think there's a very uh, important opportunity there. And uh, ASEAN, in my view, needs to grab that. Okay. Thank you very much all for those great questions. So, Helena, I'm going to start with you. Um, okay. So, <coughs> so I'll, I'll go to the region to region first. Then. Yeah. Uh, although it actually hangs together a bit always. Uh, we did have <clears throat> a start of the region-to-region -region agreement uh, negotiations, of course, uh, some, some about a decade ago, yeah. uh, and uh, which was then put on hold because of exactly the aims. We were, not, we were definitely not uh, in the same um, ballpark where we wanted to land, and I think that's the easy way to put it. <clears throat> that, despite the fact that we actually had a good discussion beforehand where we wanted to land, but once we got into negotiation... It just fell apart almost, uh, at least uh, where, where uh, our negotiating partners wanted to, to end up. Uh, what we're trying to do now is, like I said, we're trying to use the bilateral negotiations that are go ongoing or finalized as stepping stones. Uh, and that uh, leads back exactly to the question, how will we actually go about a region-to-region -region agreement? Now, it's true that ministers in March this year uh, agreed that uh, we should start a discussions on the parameters, basically, for a future FTA between uh, ASEAN and, and the EU, a framework uh, and the parameters. It is exactly what they're going to look at is whether we actually go for something TPP-like, which is not obviously an impossibility considering that we have two agreements agreed already with differences in scheduling, uh, but very much the same rule, rules uh, between the two of them. And I think that also makes sense if we really want to support the creation of a real ASEAN market, that the rules are the same, because that will actually make it a lot easier for, for businesses to operate in the market. But like I said, we haven't actually come to the conclusion. Senior officials will report back to ministers under Singapore chairmanship next year to see how we can take this forward. Now, at the same time, in our bilateral uh, negotiations, we do something what, which we call the scoping exercise. It's again, finding this famous uh, landing zone or, or uh, playing field uh, table where we're gonna land. And that is very much the same aim for all bilateral negotiations we start. So in a sense, the way we are working, the joining together of ASEAN uh, into one region to region is kind of built in to that process because, again, you see small differences depending on countries because also there is a certain amount of asymmetry in our final FTAs, but that's mainly 
uh, on tariffs, and so not necessarily on the ending points of tariffs, but actually the time it takes for each country to implement whatever we have agreed. So, again, we'll see by next year what kind of model uh, senior officials will come up with, because, of course, it's not only from us, it's also from the ASEAN side, how they would like to see themselves going forward with us in the future. And we'll also see a bit more on the timing, because as we are engaged in bilateral negotiations at the same time, the differences in speed, as I said, are, becomes very evident. Mm. Uh, I think in the case of Vietnam, it was uh, truly a very ambitious step for Vietnam to go, and go as ambitious as our negotiations with Singapore, and that from one of the lesser developed ASEAN countries. And that shows that it is feasible if the country is convinced that this is the right way to go, uh, and dares to take that step, and then, of course, dares to do those reforms, because it's really in, in uh, their interest. So... Um, uh, that, that on the region to region. Uh, that also, in a sense, tells us a bit what kind of uh, FTA are we talking about. We're definitely talking about a second generation, or something similar to what we have already with Singapore and Vietnam, both of which texts are actually on the web. So uh, not only our ASEAN friends, but also others can go in and have a look at them. Uh, and... Uh, we do that because we think it's best for us, it's best for our industry, and we genuinely think it's best for the countries also. So I think what we're aiming for is truly a win-win uh, when it comes to the end result and that, what that will bring as regards uh, prosperity, chances for development, whether business or indeed uh, social developments also. Uh, on the, on the court opinion, I think, again, we just received, uh, it's just out the court opinion, and it's a long text, and it was a long request <laughs> that we had. So it is, frankly, too early to comment on what, what that will mean. For the moment, we are negotiating with our ASEAN uh, partners bilaterally based on the existing mandates we have. Uh, we have been very clear what, what our aims are. We have existing scoping papers also whether there will be uh, any changes in the future, uh, I think really it's too early to say, uh, because where we are now is really on, on substance when it comes to the economic parts and as well as values. It is a very important part of the entirety of, of the agreements, and as pointed out by someone else, it is uh, something that our constituents uh, are also expecting from us. Mm -hmm. Again, how we do that uh, in the future and in which form, uh, I, I suspect we'll hear a lot more about uh, later. Uh, on, on palm oil, uh, again, it, it's uh, an important issue. There's been uh, a lot of discussions, resolutions in the parliament indeed. It's something which is key for two of our negotiating partners because they're the biggest palm oil exporters in the world, and that's Indonesia and Malaysia, both of whom we're actually negotiating with. We've had a standstill in our negotiations with Malaysia for some time, but the ministers have agreed that we just sort out some technical details before we restart that. So that will come up very much to the forefront again. Now, both uh, Indonesia and Malaysia uh, have uh, or are working on sustainability schemes. They're also working more in an international sphere on sustainability schemes. Uh, and what we have said in our ongoing negotiations, which is mainly them with Indonesia because that's uh, de facto has been happening, is that we'd be very happy to listen how the Indonesian looks upon this. Indonesia it was also the first country that concluded uh, a voluntary partnership, what we call FLEGT, mm -hmm. which deals with uh, illegal, illegal or rather legally logged timber. Uh, and that is something that uh, Indonesia has been very positive about. Uh, and they have floated ideas on something similar with uh, in, in our uh, relations with uh, on, on, on palm oil also. It's a completely different uh, commodity and actually what we're talking about palm oil or rather Indonesia is talking about is sustainability. It's not a legality of, of, uh, of timber. But what we've said that we're still at the beginning of thinking uh, on, on how to deal uh, with palm oil in the negotiations. 
and we're very happy to listen to both Indonesia and Malaysia, Malaysia on their reviews on their sorry their views on their sustainability schemes and how they see that fitting in to our negotiations. Uh, for the moment, we haven't really gotten to the stage uh, where we look at. We've had a chance to look at all the details, but it's definitely a an issue which will come out. I, I presume that we have, will have some commonalities when it comes to AIM. We all want sustainable uh, palm oil. We all uh, appreciate that it's, uh, it's needed for the industry. Uh, on the other hand, uh, where exactly how you define sustainability may differ a bit also, but mm. that we'll see later. Thank you. You've dealt very, very well with all the questions. Thank you very much indeed, Elena. Tuan, um, just wanted to ask you also, in addition to your comments, um, the AEC has that expanded Vietnam's horizons in terms of exports as well. I mean, we're not just talking EU Vietnam, but please feel free to answer. Uh, yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, for Vietnam, I think uh, we uh, expect a lot on uh, AEC and. Uh, a, a, a lot of questions about the, the challenge of AEC, but we can uh, see very fluent. If you go, go to any ASEAN country, you can see the ASEAN product in the supermarket very popular. Mm -hmm. And if you stay in a resort in, in Vietnam, you can see a lot of uh, labor from Philippines, from the Singapore, from the Thailand. So it's, it happened now from AEC. And so I, I think it's a good chance for investors from Europe. Now you can invest in, in, in one country, but you can use labor from other countries. I think that's a good challenge for, uh, a good opportunity for investors from Europe. Uh, I, I want to ask one more thing just uh, for, for in, uh, enterprise in Vietnam, private enterprise in Vietnam. I think when we, when we do business with Europe, maybe quite difficult at, at the first, because high quality, uh, very quite complicated procedure. But from uh, our chamber of government, I think it's good. Because in Vietnam, if we depend on a, on a partner like China and the South, the quality, uh, the standard very low very easy to import, but maybe in the future uh, we, we, we put on everything in, in, one, in, in one, one very, very, very risky for, for us. And we can see a lot of, uh, a lot of trouble in some agricultural product right. and in some. So I, I think uh, FTA with EU also a good chance for us to, uh, to, to be in, independent. In the, to the independent in, 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 in some time for some sector, for some, uh, for some in, in, in that way. Right. So that, that's what very, 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 very meaning for, 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 for us. And uh, from uh, Viet, Vietnam side, we also address up, related uh, to a question, we also address up the recent decision from the cost. Uh, you had to approve from the Parliament from East uh, Country Nation, so we quite nervous of the future of uh, Vietnam EU uh, FTA. Quite, quite nervous about that. Can so and we still we still believe that uh, EU Vietnam FTA is um, a, a, like a milestone for Vietnam development. We can use that as a standard for, for reform. Right. Not only for, for trade, for good, but also for wider. A, as a wider issue. So uh, for Vietnam, I think the outsider pressure is sometimes much more important <laughs> from the in, in, inside, domestic side. So, yeah. Thank so, you. So. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. So, Ambassador Ong, many, many questions for you. The final <laughs> word as well. Well, first of all, the bridging of the development gap in ASEAN is still inside our action plan. This is the uh, action plan for the next 10 years, ASEAN 2025, forging ahead together. But we call it under what we call the uh, label of IAI, Initiative for ASEAN Integration. So I remember when we were negotiating the uh, action line for this particular set of uh, action plans, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about how do we help each other to narrow the development gap. Um, 
for the uh, uh, more advanced economy like Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, each of us have committed to certain projects to narrow the uh, 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 issue of uh, uh, capacity. And I can tell you also that in the case of Singapore, we have four training centres in uh, Phnom Penh, uh, Hanoi, uh, Yangon and uh, Vientiane. And uh, today, in a situation of uh, tightening of uh, budget and all that, uh, I just happened to set through a long meeting in Singapore where Singaporean question why so much uh, resources are allocated to do what they call technical cooperation program in some of the developing ASEAN countries. So it is an issue for our respective government and they ought to deal with it. But uh, we are still committed to working on that. And this morning, Pierre Amilat talked about you know, he cannot understand why uh, ASEAN countries have this equal contribution in terms of budget. Actually, it is not quite accurate. The equal contribution given by each of our ASEAN member states is for the operation of the Secretariat. Mm -hmm. It is not counting the resources and funding mm -hmm. of what we call IAI projects and other uh, ASEAN-wide uh, development uh, endorsed by the respective uh, sectoral body in ASEAN. Mm -hmm. um, with regard to the end date of uh, tariff reduction, I think our economic minister's feeling is that there will be always some products which are emotionally uh, difficult for ASEAN countries concerned to completely reduce the tariffs. Mm. Uh, if you talk about the Philippines, uh, Secretary Delia Albert is here. In their constitution, there is a provision for tariff. So if you want to say tariff-free, you have to get the Filipino government to go through a process of amending the constitution, which require a considerable amount of effort. For, but, for, for every single product? No, no, for certain selected ah. products and certain foreign products coming into the Philippines. In the case of Indonesia, rice, mm. Vietnam rice, um, and some, some other what they call heritage products, it's almost impossible to remove the tariffs. But what ASEAN countries have done is to reduce the high tariff to a negligible level, which I think business people can take that into uh, their own calculation when they do their uh, respective purchases or import-export. So, uh, custom union, the concept here is ASEAN leaders want to have an ASEAN market which is part of their strategic political principle of open regionalism. So if we say we develop a custom union, that means uh, for other people outside of uh, the ASEAN custom union, they will have to pay high tariffs and what other uh, uh, requirements. So the thinking in ASEAN circle is try not to uh, do such a fortress-like kind of uh, approach. So we are still uh, 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 having some discussion from time to time, but generally speaking, the idea of a custom union for ASEAN is not much uh, in favour. TPP dividing the ASEAN member states, yes, but we go back a little bit to how the TPP first started. Uh, New Zealand Ambassador David Taylor is here. Originally, TPP consists of only four countries, New Zealand, Singapore, mm. Chile, and Brunei. We called it the P4, and we, among ourselves, came out with this free trade arrangement to help our respective uh, uh, economy. Somewhere along the line, the American president decided that this idea may be useful for American strategic interests, so they practically hijacked the whole thing and turned it into the TPP. And along the way, uh, uh, Vietnam and Malaysia joined into the group. And the thinking in ASEAN circle is that after TPP is finally settled, uh, the four ASEAN countries, namely Malaysia, uh, Singapore, Brunei and uh, Vietnam, may be able to uh, uh, persuade other ASEAN countries or other ASEAN countries may be incentivized to join into this TPP. 
But as you know now, the plan is not going to work because TPP is in a perpetual state of uh, suspension. Although many people in uh, the TPP countries, minus the USA, the other 11 guys feel that the TPP provision are so good that it should not be mm. thrown out altogether. Mm. Uh, if you look at one of the interesting statements coming out from the United States at one point a month ago, is that they wanted to renegotiate the NAFTA provision. <laughs> but in proposing to renegotiate the NAFTA provision, they borrow quite a lot from the TPP provision, particularly with regard to e-commerce and internet-based services and all that. So the TPP is actually quite a uh, far-sighted uh, document which should not be just uh, left uh, suspended in this manner. But we will see how it goes. Everything depends on one man in this place called the White House. <laughs> yeah. um, with regard to the uh, uh, other uh, uh, questions, um, we still in ASEAN want to promote um, what we call trade facilitation, uh, not just measure to block people coming in at the border, but behind the border, what other measures that we can uh, tackle uh, to try to ease up the trading regime and uh, doing of business. So we have things like self-certification, single window. Many of these initiatives are constantly being uh, uh, worked on and we believe that at the end of the day, things will uh, move uh, bit by bit. The only thing that now we are focused on in ASEAN is that uh, we don't want to make people feel that we moved one step, we take two steps back. So whatever we can, uh, wherever we can, we try to move forward. And even if it's slow down, we don't allow it to go backward again. Mm -hmm. So it's not easy, but we'll try our best. Uh. So I, I think I tackle all covered, the... You've covered everything. Except for the first question from the lady. And my question on whether Brexit makes a difference. I mean, are we going to be seeing uh, ASEAN doing a trade deal with Global Britain? Uh, are you rushing, knocking on doors? But please answer Ayana first. Uh, uh, well, I don't know what about Britain. What uh, Member of Parliament, uh, Mr. Uh, Kofa said this morning is quite important. Uh, all that we know in ASEAN mostly come from the English language media. Uh, uh, all that we know about EU come from the English language media and now the English media is going to be outside the EU then where are we going? We probably have to learn French or German quickly uh, but I'm told that the easiest European language to learn is Spanish so maybe <laughs> ASEAN country will learn Spanish instead of learning French or German but, but we'll still be working in English my Irish friend reminded me that uh, Ireland is still part of EU and you have two small countries called Malta and Cyprus, right? <laughs> so, okay, la, that means English is still the medium of uh, 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 communication. Hopefully, we can continue to learn from the EU countries uh, uh, about what you do. But definitely, this idea of Britain not in the EU, we all have to go through this. Uh, we haven't, I think, finished. Uh, I think secretly, many of us in... Southeast Asia hope that Brexit will never happen. Uh, but <laughs> unfortunately, with each passing day, it looks like more and more is going to become the reality. Uh, sorry, 8th of, of June, there's a next election, right? Yeah. Maybe something dramatic will happen. And negotiations start on the 19th with the EU. Okay, okay. so we, we have definitely, Helena and I will be in business. Uh, we still have our job. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ayana's point. What was it? Well, it was about ASEAN. But the, the, what Helena talked about as well, the final point, uh, how easy or difficult will it be to do a deal uh, in EU-ASEAN FTA? I don't think it's impossible. Yeah. Um, especially now that we have this uh, EU-Singapore and EU-Vietnam experience, the important thing is that ASEAN countries want to have more trade. And if you look around the world, where can we go? Yeah. Frankly, as a former Secretary General of ASEAN, it is not difficult to sit down and talk to the EU officials about having a trade deal. But it is near impossible to talk to the Indians and to the Chinese. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the RCEP today is being uh, slowed down 
because uh, the India philosophy today is not to open up market or do more trade. The Indian strategic interest is to bring more investment into India to create jobs to satisfy the current Modi government's preoccupation of made in India and India is great because we can produce all these uh, manufactured goods. So their negotiation at the RCEP uh, has been dictated by this kind of strategic play. And when we sit down and negotiate with the Indian negotiator about how to reduce barriers for trade, how to remove the uh, measures that prevent uh, uh, more trade in services, they are stuck because they cannot do much since their government's preoccupation is to bring more investment into manufacturing sector in India rather than to increase and liberalize market and open up uh, Indian market or having Indian traders and businessmen to go into ASEAN or China. And then the other problem which RCEP suffer from is that uh, the differences between India and uh, China. Mm -hmm. So these two big elephants, they have to sort out their problem. <laughs> and I don't think that two elephants can make peace uh, soon. So we are all stuck unless the leaders uh, in their wisdom come together and say, uh, uh, we better move on with RCP, otherwise there is no big game in, in, in town to play. Thank you. I think we've come to an end. Uh, thank you, Ambassador Ong, Helena, and Tuan. We've come to an end of, I have to say, a very dense and intense half day in ASEAN-like temperatures in this room. So thank you very much indeed for your presence here, for your questions, and thank you to the panelists. Just a final word. Uh, Friends of Europe's ASEAN activities and publications will remain on track. We are, as you know, uh, working very hard on these issues, whether it's ASEAN uh, as a whole or individual countries. We have an upcoming discussion on ASEM, the Asia-Europe meeting, uh, on the 21st of uh, June. Uh, you're all welcome. If you want to come, please register. And of course, we have a China-Europe forum at the end of June as well, to which you're all welcome as well. So let me thank you all for being here. Let me thank also Clotilde and Leticia and Natalie, my team that has worked so hard to make this a success, and to all uh, the missions, and as I said earlier, to the European Commission, DEFCO as well. Please join me in thanking our guests.